Got a question as we begin. I want you to really think about it. Don't answer me out loud, just think about it. What is the single most important thing on earth to you? What is the single most important thing on earth to you? Is it your Bible? Is it your spouse? Is it your children? Children, is it your parents? Is it your grandchildren? Your grandparents? Or something or someone else other than those choices? What is the one single most important thing on the entire earth to you, the one thing, the one thing for which you would gladly be willing to give your life in order to save or preserve if you were called upon to do so. As we consider that question, human beings and, and wanting to be right because God knows our thoughts and as, as we think about that, some of us might momentarily hesitate. You might still be thinking this over and that's fine. You might momentarily hesitate as we weigh and consider our own honest, deliberate, personal answer to that question. However, there should never be any doubt whatsoever absolutely no doubt whatsoever as to the answer to that question when it comes to the Lord Jesus Christ. Scripture everywhere points out to us what his answer is. The one single most important thing on earth, on the entire earth, in the entire universe, with the exception of his heavenly father, we'll stick with on earth, the most important thing on earth to Jesus Christ is his church, bar none, and no doubt. Now, I want you to consider this. Saving his church, saving his body, his bride, his church, was the whole reason for his coming, wasn't it? I mean, when you consider that the church is to save people, then obviously, yeah. The whole reason for his suffering was the church. The whole reason for his dying was the church. In fact, if you subtract the church or you subtract saving the church from Jesus' mission and suffering, he didn't have one. Is that fair? If you subtract saving people and this group of saved people from his mission, these lost people and saving them, if you subtract that from his mission, he didn't have a mission because that was his entire mission on earth. Most important thing on earth to him. If you subtract his church from the equation, his whole crucifixion experience was utterly and ridiculously pointless. 
if you subtract saving people from the crucifixion experience, now granted, yes, I understand, he did that in obedience to his father, but what was his father's plan for him to do that? To save the church, right? So if you take the church out of the equation, God wouldn't have had him do it. Why do it if it, it mounted to nothing? That's how important the church is to Jesus. The whole crucifixion was a complete waste of Jesus' life and time and blood and energy, if not for the fact that it pardoned and purchased and produced and preserves the life of his church. And once again, no irreverence to him doing the will of God. He did, was doing the will of God, yes, but what was God's will? God's will was to save this group of people, the church. Jesus told us in the scriptures exactly why he came and exactly why he did not come. He made it very clear. He told us in Luke 19 and verse 10, the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. That's why he came. So this is why I'm here. That's the reason. And when he talks about seeking and saving the lost, what's that about? It's about the church because you save the lost and they become the church. He also tells us why he did not come. In Luke 10, 45, he said, for even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Once again, give his life a ransom for many. Why? So that they could be made perfect and cleansed and so they could be his church. No matter how you boil this down, the one most important thing on earth to Jesus is his church. His church both, with, both was, is, and always shall be just that. He's all-consuming, all-essential, all-important on earth interest. And I want us to turn to the book of Ephesians tonight to, to, to notice this, Ephesians chapter 1. With what I've said as an introduction, I want you to think about this. While, while the book of Colossians is all about the Christ of the church, the book of Ephesians is all about the church of the Christ. Ephesians. Very familiar readings. We're going to start off with some of this and then talk about it. Ephesians chapter 1. Most important thing on earth to Jesus is the church. Ephesians 1.1, 1, 1, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God to the saints who are in Ephesus and faithful in Christ Jesus. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. Before the world was ever started, you've heard me say this, but it's so important. Before the world was ever, before God ever spoke the world into existence, he knew what was gonna happen and he had a plan. What was his plan? For his church. That's what his plan was. We're gonna see that later on. His plan was everything that Paul has mentioned above here, it was about the saints. It was about the faithful. It was about the faithful in Christ. That's what it, this whole plan was all about, to give them every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, these people that are in the church, in Christ. Continuing, just as he chose us in him, all of those who would be in Christ before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. That was God's purpose from before the beginning, to make you and I that, to build his church having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ 
to himself. We are his family. He is our father. When we are in Christ, we are spiritual siblings. He's adopted us according to the good pleasure of his will, not according to the good works we've done. You can't earn salvation. It's according to the good pleasure of his will. To the praise of the glory of his grace by which he made us accepted in the beloved, the beloved being Christ. We are acceptable in Christ no matter where we've been, what we've done. We can be in the presence of a holy God only if we are in Christ and cleansed by the blood. And all of those people are, Colossians 1, 13 and 14, the church. All about the church. In him, we have redemption through his blood. We have this. We have this now, brethren. It's not something we're going to have. We have it. We have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of his grace. Who has that? The church. The members of the church. Which he made to abound toward us in all wisdom and prudence, having made known to us, to who? To the church. The mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in himself, that in the dispensation of the fullness of times he might gather together in one all things in Christ. When we are in Christ, we're in Christ's body, we're in Christ's church. Ephesians is all about the church. The church has always been in God's mind. It has been the pinnacle of everything that God wanted to accomplish in Christ. Both which are in heaven and which are on earth in him, in him also. As if that's not enough, in him also, verse 11, we have obtained an inheritance. We have an inheritance being predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, that we who first trusted in Christ should be to the praise of his glory. He goes on in verses 13 and 14 to say in him, if you're in Christ, that is if you're in his church because you're in Christ, same thing, you have been sealed with this promise, this guarantee until we actually take a hold of that inheritance that we have. And as you read through this, the reason I'm reading so much of it, as you, as you read through this, you see that this is the way it's always been. This is what God's always wanted. This is what's always been insofar as his plan. The church was the most important thing on earth to God. Before there was an earth, <laughs> there was a plan for the church. That should tell you something. In verses 15 through 21, he, he says, I, I pray that you can come to know this, this God and his great and vast love that is basically unknowable. Then look what he says in verses 22 and 3. Speaking of God, he says, God put all things and he put all things under his feet and gave him to be head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. He was made head over the most important thing to him on earth, and that is his church. If we were to read on in verses two, uh, chapter 2, verses 1 through 10, very familiar passage, we know that we were dead in our trespasses and sins, and he saved us in Christ by his grace through our faith. We know from verse 10 that we're in Christ to do good works. We understand that. In verses 11 and 12, he said, you used to be far off, you who are not Gentiles. Uh, you who are Gentiles used to be far off. But look what he says in verses 13 through 16. He says, but now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace who has made both one and has broken down the middle wall of separation between the Jews and Gentiles, that is, having abolished in his flesh the enmity, that is, the law of commandments contained in ordinances, so as to create in himself one new man from the two, thus making peace, and that he might reconcile them both to God in one body. He just told you that the church is the body, chapter 1, verses 22 and 3. Now, as he talks in chapter 2 about how we've been added uh, to the church and how there's, there's no... There's no separation between Jew and Gentile. We're all one in Christ. He says, 
God did this that he might reconcile them both to God in one body, one church. It's still, chapter two is all about the church because it's all about the body. Through the cross, thereby putting to death the enmity, God put us in one body through the cross. The whole purpose of the cross was the body, the church. Again, again the church, this, this whole book is just about how important the church is, how much it cost him, how his plan has always been to focus on that which was the most important thing on earth to him. For through him, verse 18, we both have access by one spirit to the Father. Listen, the blood and the body, chapter 2, verses 13 through 16, the blood and the body are inseparable. If you take the blood out of the body, what do you got? You got a dead body. We caught a bunch of fish this weekend. First thing we did, we got them back, was hang them up, cut the tails off to bleed them out. When, when that leaves, when you separate the blood from the body, you don't have a living body. They're inseparable. The blood cannot be subtracted from the church because the blood is what makes the church possible. He shed his blood for the most important thing on earth to him. And I love verses 19 and following. He says, now therefore you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints, <laughs> members of the household of God. He's talking about the church again having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom the whole building being fitted together grows into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are being built together for a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. As I consider those verses, I am mindful that God is building us together, one by one, all together, into this church. Not a physical building, obviously. We talked about this morning, the church isn't about a building. And tonight's sermon is kind of a follow-up to this morning when I get to the, the, the real height of it. But as I read those verses, I'm reminded of the parsonage at the uh, previous full-time preaching position that I had. And the parsonage there was a brick house. But the bricks were not all the same color. You know, you have a lot of brick, brick structures that are built and all the bricks are pretty much identical in color. These weren't like a white one and a red one and they weren't like that, but they were varying shades of red. Some were dull red, some were a, a bright red and there was everything in between. The bricks were, were a real mixture of color. It wasn't just like these pews, one color brick. Not only that, but the, as I think about how we're being built together and, and I think about that parsonage also on some of the bricks, I don't know if the first time they put them in the building, maybe they didn't line up right or they weren't square, but, but some of those bricks, individual bricks, had like concrete on the front of them, like concrete had stuck to them and they had just used them again, flipped them over or whatever. And some of those bricks had sharp corners on them, you could tell because as they grouted in between them, I mean if you run your hand down there, you could, you could open up your hand, right? And as I think about that in these verses here and God building us into the church, I think number one, just like those bricks, all of us are a little different. All of us are a little different. We got a few different shades. <laughs> Not going so far as to say anything about shady characters, no, but we, we, we all have these different shades. We, we have a different, a different look about us not just physically, but, but spiritually. We're, we're a little, we, we don't always 100%, not everybody in the building absolutely thinks maybe that these pews are exactly the color they ought to be. We, we have different perspectives like that. As I think about that analogy further, I think that those bricks, some of them being so sharp as they were on the corner, sometimes brethren can have sharp corners. We, we can, we can. But you know, you know the thing, sometimes we can have concrete countenances too, but 
You know the thing that was beautiful about that house with all those different colors and those, those bricks with the concrete on them and sharp edges? You know the beautiful thing about it? It was a secure house. You know what held it all together, right? The concrete. And even though we're all a shade different, even though sometimes we can have a concrete count, and sometimes even though we have a hard edge here and there, Christ building us together one by one into this, this, this church is like the person who built those bricks because with the right mortar you can hold it all together and you can make something secure. Jesus is the mortar that holds the church together, is he not? Take Jesus out of the equation, what happens? The house falls, though you got nothing. <laughs> Take the concrete out of those bricks and you got a pile of rubble. But you know, sometimes when you're watching a house being built or right after a house is built, there's one over here in town that we noticed, right after a house is, is built or, or right at the very end and they're bricking it up, Sometimes you'll see a pile of discarded bricks laying out there in the dirt, the tall grass. Busted bricks, bricks that just don't fit into the house. Bricks that have been discarded. You know, in the church it is Jesus that holds us together and we need to make sure that we always stay away from that discard pile because that choice is ours. You know, we can't have Jesus or even claim to believe in Jesus, really, if we seek to sever ourselves or separate ourselves from his beloved bride and his one and only church or body. And I'm talking about separating, walking away altogether is what I'm talking about, just to be clear. We see in Ephesians chapter 3, verses 1 through 7, how Paul became a minister. And then he says this in verses 8 through 12. He says, To me, who am less than the least of all the saints, as grace was given, that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ, and to make all see what is the fellowship of the mystery, which from the beginning of the ages has been hidden in God, who created all things through Jesus Christ, to the intent, here we go, that now the manifold wisdom of God might be made known by the church to the principalities and powers in the heavenly places according to the eternal purpose which he accomplished in Christ. The eternal purpose which he accomplished in Christ was to build his church. And by the existence of the church, the manifold wisdom of God, all of those Old Testament scriptures that pointed toward this one people and this one body and, and how the mountain of the house of the Lord would be built from people from all different nations, Isaiah 2, 2 and 3 and, and other passages, the Daniel prophecies in Daniel chapter 2, all of those prophecies, those are all made known to the world by the existence of the church because the church is the proof of those prophecies. Church was the most important thing forever on earth to Christ. In chapter 3, verses 13 through 21, Paul basically prays again that they could come to somehow know the love that God has for them, that is, his church. And then he gets to chapter 4. As I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, verse 1, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called with all lowliness and gentleness, with long-suffering, bearing with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There's one body. He's already told you the body's the church. There's one church, one Spirit, just you were called to one hope of your calling. There's one Lord. There's only one faith. There's one baptism that God honors. 
There's one God and Father of all who is above all and through all and in y'all. It is impossible to say that you truly believe in God if you believe that all faiths are okay with God. Because God said, no, there's one body or church, there's one Lord, there's one faith. When God says there's one faith, that's it. Now, it may be that you say that you believe in God, but you've never really studied his word, so that, that's possible. But to truly believe God, when God says there's only one, Jesus died for only one church, then there's only one, and, and, and it's really that simple. Jesus, you know, the Bible, here's the thing, Bible talks to us about the body being the church and Christ being the head, right? We just read that in Ephesians 1, okay? Christ is not one head over 10,000 different bodies. Can you imagine 10,000 different bodies all sharing the same head? That'd be pretty gross, wouldn't it? I mean, think about that. It'd be a really big head, be a really weird looking creature. That's, that's not the picture we see in scripture that he's head over all these different bodies or churches, nor do we see that there's one body with multiple heads. That would be rather grotesque as well. There's only one head of the church and, and that is Jesus. And, and here's the thing, you cannot separate Jesus from his church. You cannot separate the body from the head or the head from the body. You can't separate Jesus from his church because his church is too important to him. His church is the most important thing on earth to him. So you can't separate that. You can't separate him. He's not going to let go or be separated from his church. And, and so those that say, well, you know what, give me the church, but I, uh, give me Jesus, but not the church. That's impossible. That cannot be done. It can't be done because Jesus is going to stay with his church because his church is the most important thing on earth to him. You can't walk away from his church and take him with you because he ain't going. Because to Jesus, his church is everything. How important is his church to him? Well, I'm not going to turn to any of these passages, but if you're taking notes, you can write them down if you'd like, or you can just listen. They're familiar passages. How important is Jesus' church to him? If we were to read Luke chapter 1, verses 26 through 33, we would see that the whole reason that Jesus came was to govern to establish and to govern his church. That's why he came. Whole purpose of his being born was to establish and govern his unending kingdom. If we were to read Matthew chapter 16, verses 18 and 19, we would see that his church and kingdom is the same thing. If we were to read Mark 9 and verse 1, we would see that his church would, was going to be established within the lifetime of some of his first century disciples. And if we were to read Acts 20 and verse 27, we would see the entire reason why he came and bled and died and suffered and was separated from his heavenly father in the first place was to establish, to maintain, and to preserve his church. Ephesians 2 and 3, the church was the whole reason he came and the crowning touch on God's eternal purpose as I read at the beginning of the lesson. Certainly if we were to read Ephesians chapter 5, verses 22 and following, we would also see that nothing on earth is more important to Jesus in heaven than his beloved bride. Nothing. <coughs> to, and so to think that Jesus 
who came and did all that for his church, to think today, anybody, to think today that his church is somehow not important or it doesn't matter to him, doesn't know scripture. If he would do all that for his church, which he did, and it was the most important thing on earth to him 2,000 years ago, he hasn't changed, the scripture tells us. And so the preservation of his church is all important to him still for people to think that the church doesn't matter. His church doesn't matter. They don't know Jesus. And you know, that's easy for people on the outside to kind of miss that, but what about us? What about us? Do we understand the pricelessness of the kingdom? As we read through the parables in Matthew 13, where he describes it as things like the pearl of great price and the hidden treasure, do we understand that the kingdom of God, the church of Christ, is worth whatever beating, berating, punishment, price, or persecution that either he or we must pay in order to be part of it, participant in it, or protector of it while we're here on the earth? I want you to think about that. Do we understand that the church of our Lord Jesus Christ to him was worth whatever suffering he had to pay. And for us, it needs to be worth whatever beating we have to take, whatever persecution that we have to take. We see that in places like Acts chapter 14 and 16. In just those two chapters alone, I want to just quickly encapsulate them. In Acts chapter 14, in Acts chapter 16, just those two chapters alone, because Paul was willing to put the growth and expansion of the church of our Lord first and foremost in his life, this is some of the things Paul suffered in just those two chapters. You ready? Here we go. If you want to turn there, that's fine. I've just put them together quickly. Paul suffered having people's minds poisoned against him. Acts 14 and Acts 16. He suffered violent attempts to abuse and to stone him to death. Paul suffered, according to those two chapters, having to flee the city because of opposition against the truth of God, which he taught. Paul suffered being dragged out of the city and stoned so bad that his enemies thought he was dead. He also suffered seizure and being dragged before the authorities in Philippi having his clothes torn from his body and then being beaten with rods and then being thrown into prison, not only into prison, but into the inner dungeon and being fastened in stocks which were a tool of torture. He suffered all of that for the sake of the kingdom. It was worth whatever price he had to pay to teach the truth and to be part of the church and to try to help expand the church and its growth. It did not matter. He went through all of those things in just those two chapters. He suffered all of those things for the church and gladly, gladly he suffered them. So gladly that come midnight, after being beaten and put in stocks, he's singing psalms and hymns of praise to God. Are you kidding me? No, I am not. That's what the book says. He's so happy he can't stand it. You know why? Because he knew 
what the church of our Lord was worth to our Lord. And so because he loved our Lord Jesus so much, Jesus' church became worth to Paul what it was to his Lord. Because he knew what the church was worth to Jesus, the church became worth that to him because he loved Jesus so much. You see, when you love somebody, when you really love somebody with all your heart and you give yourself to them for life, then their priorities become your priorities to a very large degree, maybe not totally, but to a large degree. When you really love somebody and you give yourself to them for life, their interests become your interests. Their priorities become your priorities. What matters to them matters to you. Is that right? Husbands, wives, is that right? What matters to them matters to you, right? Just like when we become part of the church, are we to weep with one another and laugh with one another? Does it matter when we are part of the body and we are just in love with one another, then what makes one of us weep should make us all weep. Is that right? Isn't that why we pray for each other? <clears throat> if anybody had told me when I was a teenager, that at some point in your life you'll be able to look at a skein of yarn and you'll be able to tell what store it came from just by the brand and you will know ahead of time in your own mind when certain sales are going to happen at certain stores and you will know by looking at a skein of yarn what ply it is without the label I would have thought they were out of their minds <laughs> and I'd have told them so as a teenager now I'm not as talented as my lovely bride is when it comes to those things. But it's important to her. So it's important to me. Because that's how love works. This is the same truth that we see reflected with Naomi. When Ruth pledged her love and loyalty to her mother-in-law with, with the words which are often read at weddings, wherein the same thing is happening wherein somebody is pledging their love and their life to somebody else. Ruth 1, 16 and 17. For wherever you go, I will go. Wherever you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die and there will I be buried. What, what's she saying? She's saying, look, what's, I love you. And so what's important to you is going to be important to me. What interests you is going to interest me. Your God is going to be my God. Your people, my people. You're that important to me. What matters to you will matter to me. You see, the Lord gave up the glories of heaven and equality with God to, came to, to come to earth to suffer and die. And he did so for the one thing on earth that mattered more to him than anything else. The one thing on earth that was worth any price he had to pay the one thing on earth that was worth any personal suffering of sacrifice, his church. And because Christ's church always was, always is, and always shall be the single most important thing on earth to him, it became the same thing to the Apostle Paul. And therefore worth whatever it personally cost Paul. Do you know, Paul said in Colossians 1 verse 24, I now rejoice in my sufferings. He said, boy, am I happy I'm being beaten. Boy, am I happy I'm suffering. That's what he said. 
I now rejoice in my sufferings for you and fill up in my flesh what is lacking in the afflictions of Christ for the sake of his body, which is the church. Paul said, I am happy to suffer for the church. Why? Well, because it was that important to my Lord and he suffered for it. In Acts 20, verses 22 through 24, Paul said, See now, I go bound in the Spirit to Jerusalem, not knowing the things that will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies in every city, saying that chains and tribulations await me. But none of these things move me, nor do I count my life dear to myself, so that I may finish my race with joy, watch this, and the ministry which I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. Long as I can keep telling people about Jesus, long as we can keep having people added to the church, long as I can keep telling them the gospel message, long as people keep being saved, I don't care what I have to pay for a price. It doesn't matter. The only thing that matters is the church and helping people to become part of that, saving the lost. That's all that matters because Paul loved the Lord with all his heart and because Paul had fully given himself to Jesus for life and Jesus top priority became Paul's top priority as well what mattered most to Jesus now mattered most in life to Paul what was worth everything else in the world to Jesus was now worth everything else in the world to Paul Philippians 3 he explains that you know why because that's how it works when you're in love with the Lord. That's how it works. You see, I posed a question at the beginning. What is the single most important thing on the entire earth to you? See, I don't think the Apostle Paul would have had a problem answering that like that later on in his life. I don't think he'd had a problem. I think Philippians 3 proves that. I think a lot of chapters he wrote prove that. The most important thing to Paul on earth, he would have told you right up front. Paul, what's the most important thing on the planet to you, the church? He said as much in those texts that I read. It doesn't matter what I have to pay. It's that important because Jesus did the same thing. As we consider the texts at the beginning of this sermon, I don't think there can be any doubt as we read through Ephesians, first few chapters at length, what Jesus' answer would be. It would be his church if he were asked that question, and he's, he's proven that. How important should the church therefore be to us who love him? Jesus' mission was to seek and save the lost, to do whatever it took. We, we talked this morning in Bible class about how even when they came to arrest him, he was still trying to point out to them, hey, this is what the scriptures say. You, you guys need to listen to what the scriptures say. I, I'm, I'm Jesus. He's still trying to save those who came to arrest him and to crucify him. He's still trying to save them. Do we really understand how important it is to the Lord that we expand his kingdom and seek and save the lost and add people to the church? Do we really understand how the church was and is more important than anything else on earth to the Lord? Do we love him so much and in such a way that the most important thing on earth to him becomes the most important thing on earth to us. You say, Doug, that's a pretty high price. Yeah, I know. I'm just asking the questions. 
You see, and the reason I ask that is because as we move on from this point in our history, we have one of the greatest needs and one of the greatest opportunities we've ever had to prove just how important the church is to us. Now, the expansion of the church may not become our absolute top priority immediately. Things take time and work, and we all have other things in life that we love and people that we love, and I, I'm not saying anything about how those people should not be important to us. Don't, don't misunderstand what I'm saying. But what I am saying is you've got to admit that because it was so important to him, it should be one of our top priorities anyway. Is that fair? One of our top priorities anyway, the expansion of the church, right? And we have one of the greatest needs and opportunities that we've ever had to prove that it truly is. And we do that in one way. There are several ways. But one of the ways that we do that is by trying with everything we've got to talk to other people about becoming part of the church. We need to seek and to save the lost. Simple as that. Because as I said this morning, as I went through that lesson this morning, and tonight's is sort of a sequel to that, but you remember this morning, once every six days, a Church of Christ closes its doors forever. 395 Churches of Christ congregations have been lost in the last six years or 312 weeks, according to the statistics that I quoted for you this morning. You know, this afternoon, or this morning, first off, I was talking about how we are in a post-Christian culture, which we all understand. Now, I went on the internet today, this afternoon, while I was doing some other things. I went on and I thought, hmm, I just want to check into a couple of things. And so, if you want to Google something that'll really scare you, Google abandoned church buildings in the United States or something along those lines. Do you know that there are whole websites that are devoted to selling church buildings that are no longer in use? Did you know that? There's real estate brokers who specialize in selling religious properties that nobody goes to anymore. Now, all different religions, different, different churches, as it were, man-made churches. Matter of fact, I want to share this with you. One, one article that I happen to come across and just a whole lot of, lot of looking this sort of thing up, One article, there's, there's a, a lady that says that she's got a solution for all of the abandoned church buildings now in America in our post-Christian culture. She didn't use that term, but she, you know what her solution is? You know what the title of the article was? The art title of the article was A Change of Faith. And she said, what we need to do with a lot of these abandoned church buildings is sell them to the Buddhists and the Muslims so that they can use them for their religious needs. We need a change of faith in America. You want to talk about being sick to your stomach when I read that? Now, I understand that the Lord's Church is not maybe in the same dire straits that a lot of man-made denominations are, and we could discuss denominations disappearing and all that, but that's not the point of tonight's lesson. <clears throat> the point of tonight's lesson is a follow-up to this morning is, is we know, we know the Lord's church is going to be here till the day he comes to take us back, right? 
We know that from Daniel 2. He's going to build his kingdom that's never going to be taken over by another, never destroyed, never taken over by another people. Daniel chapter 2, that's the church. We know that Christ came to establish and govern an unending church. We know that he said in, in Matthew 16, 18, and 19 that on this rock he'll build his church, the gates of Hades would not overcome it. We know the church is going to be here until 1 Corinthians 15, 54, the end comes when he delivers up the kingdom to his father. We know that, right? But that does not mean that in every town where there's a church of Christ today, there'll be one in 50 years. It doesn't mean that. It means that the church will still be in existence, might be in some third world country where they'll walk through the jungle four hours one way to hear about Jesus. It may be in one of those places. My only point in all of this is that we have a lot of wonderful young people in this congregation. Some of them are going to grow up and they're going to become members of this church. Uh, they're going to grow up and they're, they're going to live here and work and serve in this church probably for many years. That's what I want to say. Many of them are already members of the church here. But some are going to grow up and they're, they're going to probably move away. Not everybody that's here in Shoto today is going to be here in Shoto tomorrow probably or 20 years from now. Some of us older gray-haired folks are going to be called home to our eternal reward by then. And so, <clears throat> if we want to ensure the church will be here in Shoto, we need to go tell the lost about Jesus. We need each one of us to take seriously our mission to seek and save the lost. If it mattered that much to Jesus, it has got to be one, if not the top priority in our life as well. It's got to be. This week, find somebody, pray for somebody, think of somebody, talk to somebody about how awesome. Are you, if you're glad you're a Christian, raise your hand. No, seriously, really. Are you really? You know, most of us don't have any problem telling somebody when we're happy about something. Grandparents, they used to take out, you know, the wallet and show their grandkids. I don't know how many pictures I got on my phone of Hannah. Probably 80% of the Hundreds upon hundreds upon, probably 90%. You know why? All you can do is mention my granddaughter. Boy, I'm smart. You know, even me. Yeah, I know. I have no problem telling you about her because she's just special to me. I shouldn't have any problem telling anybody about Jesus because he's just that much more special to me. Amen? Let's make sure. Let's make sure. Shoto never closes its doors because we've got so many people becoming Christians. But the only way that's going to happen is for each one of us, not just the leadership, to talk to the people in our social circle about how awesome it is to belong to Jesus the Christ and to be part of his church that is the most important thing on earth to him. Let's go tell somebody that this week. If you have a need tonight to be either baptized into Christ and become a... I could go on and on, but I won't. If you could uh, want to become part of that church tonight, part of that body by being baptized into Christ, if you're somebody who says, I just, I need more strength, I need more strength in this area or that, maybe to talk to people, whatever that may be, we'll pray for you right now. Anything you need as we stand and sing, please come to the front.